Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. You have your Bibles, if you turn with me to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. This morning will be our last week in this series, this four-week series of Joyful Church. And uh, this morning we want to look at Joyful parents uh, always got the, the paper, and, and uh, I remember one morning, uh, I always read two sections. There were two sections that I read. I read the sports section, and then I always read the comics. Um, and Garfield was one of my favorite comics, and one of the things that, uh, that I came across in high school was something that, that I thought was a new revelation, and so I thought it was going to help me. I was not a real studious um, student, young man, um, and uh, I kind of skated by and knew how to get through some things. Um, they have a term for that, or did, it was called a brown noser, and so uh, I just got um, the good graces of my teachers. But I came across this Garfield comic, and I thought, this is, this is going to help me, um, because I really felt like this was going to help me to become smarter. I was going to grow. I was really going to grow up, and it was really going to help me. And so I actually found this. Uh, you can Google anything anymore, and you can find it. But I found this same comic that I remember when I was a kid, uh, and it's in color now. But here it is. Uh, th this helped me. I, I saw this comic, and I'm like, I am going to do that. I'm going to do that with all my books. And so one night I went to bed, and I laid my books around me. Now, granted, I was in high school, okay, so I should have known better. But I thought I needed all the help that I could possibly get. Um, that tells you what kind of student I was. And so I just laid them, and I remember laying one on my, on my pillow, and I'm like, I'm going to have to put it underneath my pillow because it's too hard. I can't do this. And so um, I think that was the detriment that why I didn't learn because I didn't have it right up to me. There was a barrier in between. Um, but uh, I think sometimes we're much like Garfield here. Uh, we, when we think about growth and learning, uh, I think sometimes we, we want it to be that simple. We want it just to be, all right, if I'm just in the right environment, then I'm going to be able to grow. Or if I just do this one thing, or if I just attach these headphones, if I only had this app, this is going to help me. All right, and, and we come up with this whole, the, sometimes they're wild ideas, okay? And uh, let me just tell you, all of you children that, that desire to learn, don't do it this way, okay? It just, it's not going to work, unfortunately. Well, let me say it this way. It didn't work for me. Maybe it'll work for you. When we think about growth and our growth and our relationship with Jesus Christ, um, it's something that, that we could maybe start to come up with a whole bunch of list of things to do. Um, but I really believe that growth isn't about doing a list. All right. It's not about a list of things to do. 
And while we do see, especially Paul writes in, in his letters about putting off and putting on, there are things that are very actionable that we need to be pursuing. Um, I, I came across this passage in Colossians that I think helps me to, to really give an overview of what does it mean for you and I to grow in our faith? What does it mean as we pursue to do that in a joyful way? Remember, our theme for the year is living a joyful life. And I think that some of you might have walked in here this morning with your joy level a little low. And I'm not going to accuse anybody, but some of you, as I watched and as I greeted you, some of you were like, yes, I'm glad I'm here today. And others of you are like, And I'm like, good morning. And I have days like that too, all right? And so I'm not, I'm not casting stones because I have a glass house, okay? Um, all I'm saying is I, I think there is, there is a formula that allows us to live every day with a joyful life. And part of that is joyful growth, where we're growing, where we're moving in a direction where, where, we, where the joy of the Lord is found in us, and it's evidence in us. And that doesn't mean it's always happy, like, oh, I'm celebrating, I just was diagnosed with cancer, yay! No, when, when James writes to count it all joy when we encounter various trials, there's a deeper peace, there's something within us that regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what's going on in our lives, that we have this thing that's in us, it's called joy because God is there, because we are in him. And so I want to look at that this morning. So Colossians chapter 2, hopefully you're there. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, it says this, Paul writes, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Um, what we see here is ultimately that joyful growth is experienced by walking in Jesus. Joyful growth is experienced by walking in Jesus. Um, the first word here is therefore in verse 6. So we have to ask ourselves, what is it there for? Okay, so whenever you see that term in the Bible, you need to ask yourself, what is it there for? It's like a hinge all right, it's a two-way door, one of those doors that go in and out of a kitchen, right, of a restaurant where it can go this way or it can go that way. And, and that word, therefore, you need to look on the other side of the door to figure out um, what Paul was just saying in this instance. It was Paul. He says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus as the Lord. Uh, what he is referencing is going back to, hey, look in chapter 1, uh, verse 24, like, listen, I've been suffering for your sake. And then he says that you've accepted this. I want you to know how great, verse 1, chapter 2, how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea, for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. Because why? Because in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, 
Yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith. Because you are firm in your faith, because you have accepted this message of Jesus Christ claiming to be the Messiah and claiming to be the Savior, the one who has forgiven you of your sins, he says this, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. We're going to look at some of these terms here this morning. First, we see, as you received. That word received means in the Greek to be taken or taken with. You have taken upon yourself Jesus Christ the Lord. Now, what's interesting here is Paul, in the order that he gives Jesus his title, all right? It's not Lord Jesus Christ here. It's actually, um, as we look at it, Christ, the Messiah, all right? Messiah Jesus the Lord. And as he, as we look at this, um, it, it's kind of, uh, uh, as Paul is writing here in chapter 2, he's referencing, they would have known as they're reading this, as Paul is referencing back to Christ Jesus the Lord, who is he? It begs that question. Well, Paul has answered that, and he's answered it in chapter 1. And so let's look at that, chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Who is Christ Jesus the Lord? Christ Jesus is the Lord because, why? Because in chapter 1, verse 15 through 20, Jesus is this. Jesus Christ, Christ the Lord, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's Jesus. That's Christ Jesus, the Lord. He is sovereign. He is in control. He is holding all things together. If you take that section, verses 15 through 20, and you circle the word all, you'll circle it many, many times. And, and, and Paul is making an emphatic statement. And then he's referencing that here again, just as you have received, you've received what? You've received and you've claimed Jesus as fully God. He is Lord. He is in control of all things. He is over all things. And all things hold together by who he is. All things were created by him. And so we see this. You have taken upon yourselves. He's saying because you have taken upon yourselves this understanding that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is Lord. He says this, so walk in him. So you've taken this, understanding this thought, this, this belief, you've claimed it, all right? Um, so walk in him, he says. This word walk in the Greek means to live or to walk up and down. I thought about walking up and down a nice warm beach because wouldn't that be nice right now? Right? Um, to walk. So walk in him. To live. To move. 
So he's saying uh, to these early believers, as you have taken up Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. You've taken him with you. So everything that you do as you move, as you walk up and down the beach, as you walk up and down life, take him with you. You've taken him with you. Continue to know that he is there with you. This understanding that Christ Jesus is Lord, you've accepted it. And because you've accepted it, take him with you. Don't forget about it. Don't put it on the back burner. And so walk in him. We're going to see this phrase, in him, several times. And that word in means to be closely joined together. All right? It doesn't mean that, okay, we're in this room. It means I am sitting next to my beautiful bride as close as I possibly can because I want to be that close to her. Remember when you were dating and you just couldn't get close enough? You're like, hmm. Not in church, of course. There was one time we were in a Sunday night service in the very back, and I remember the pastor, man, he called us out in the middle of the sermon. I'm like, I, I probably won't do that unless you do something drastic, but it's okay to snuggle up to your spouse, teens, watch out, leave room for the spirit. All right, but listen, it's that same, that same connection that Paul is trying to reference here. So, so walk in him. You are closely joined together. It's not just at an arm's length. It's not some distance between you. No, you are closely joined to this one that is Lord. The one that is the invisible God, the one who is the firstborn of all creation, the one who created it all, and all things were not only created, but all things hold together today because of who? Christ Jesus, the Lord. So you get to walk in him. How amazing is that? This term walk is used several times through the New Testament. There's two passages that I just want to recall for us as we kind of just, again, get a picture of what this term really means. The first is in Matthew 9, 5, and I'll just read it for you or just make reference. It's up on the screen for you. And it's about Jesus as he has uh, healed a paralytic. And, and, and the, the scribes and the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders of that time, they're like, uh, why, why would you say that his sins are forgiven? And, and Jesus says this, is it easier to say rise and walk, that same term walk? Here is a man, think about this. This is a man who has, ha, has been unable to get up and walk. And for this paralytic, his life has been drastically changed. The other reference that I want to just call to your attention is found in Mark, Mark 8, 24, and, and, and where a blind man in Bethsaida had his eyes spit upon by Jesus. And I don't know about you. If somebody spits on me, I probably don't feel too good about that. But he's like, listen, whatever it takes, right? He's, Jesus spits on his eyes, rubs them a little bit. And Jesus says to him, hey, what do you see? And this is his response. He says, look, it looks like trees walking. I've never seen a tree walk, but here's a blind man who's never seen, and he's like, it looks like trees that are just walking. 
And then Jesus is, comes back, touches his eyes again, and he can completely see his life is transformed. It's the same term that we see here of walking. So walk closely, join together. Everything that you do, moving, you take him with you. Paul then says, back in Colossians 2, he says, so walk in him. So verse 7 says, rooted and built up in him. This word rooted means strengthened or also to take. And Paul says uh, earlier in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, that we are to be rooted and grounded in love. That love, ultimately, what we can be rooted in, what strengthens us, is the love of God. Not that we first loved him, but that he loved us. God loved us, sending his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Meaning, he took the full, the full wrath of God upon himself. So all the punishment that you and I deserved, Jesus hung on the cross and he took all of that. He paid the penalty. So that when we look at God, we can see his love for us. That's the root of how our faith begins. We are strengthened ultimately out of roots for trees. That's where they get their nourishment. And Paul is saying here, listen, you are strengthened. You need to take the fact that God loves you. And he's demonstrated that through who? Through Christ Jesus, who you claim is Lord. Be reminded of that, he says, as you walk be rooted. You, you are rooted. It's something that has already taken place. And this term to be rooted also means to take, which reminds me of what Romans 6.23 says, when, when that the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life. But it takes us claiming that to receive it. And so if you receive Christ Jesus, if you take him, being rooted in understanding that it was him who first demonstrated his love towards us. That I don't have anything to offer to God, but that he offered me eternal life. So I'm rooted in him. That's where my strength comes from. So then to be built up, he says next, rooted and built up in him. That means to be made more able. This Greek term built up, make more able or to build upon. Acts 20, verse 32 says, uh, talks about which we are able to be build, to build you up. What is it? The word of his grace is able to build you up. What is the word of his grace? You might have a copy with you today. Would you hold it up? This is it. Would you hold it? You can hold it up. Maybe it's your electronic device. We'll just throw out all the apps, okay? This, all right? This is what's going to build you up. And in fact, you've been called a building, right? In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9, as, as Paul is writing to the church there in Corinth, he is saying, listen, you are a building, you are a building, and you know what? In Ephesians 2.20, you are built on the apostles, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, which Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. When we are thinking about this aspect of being built up, 
and thinking about a building, you have to get the cornerstone right. The cornerstone isn't the last piece that goes in that ultimately has this really cool little saying on it, all right? That's not the cornerstone. The cornerstone is the first piece that is laid. After the dimensions are laid out, the, the cornerstone is the, is the piece, is the rock that all the other angles are going to go off of. So if you get that angle wrong, then the rest of your building will be out of shape. So Jesus is that foundation. He is our chief cornerstone. He is the one who, who, as we lay the foundation of our life, as we are looking and saying what we are built upon, we are built upon a solid foundation, not on shifting sand, but upon the rock, the rock of Jesus Christ. And so as we think about being built up, we are made more able and so when you think of that term, when you see that term built, yes, we are rooted, we are strengthened, and we are built up in him, meaning we are made more able, and notice that phrase again, what does it say? We are made more able in him. Not in yourselves, not in a list, not in some process that's going to help you to do things better. No, you are made more able to grow and to learn and to be filled with joy because of who Jesus Christ is. He is Lord. He uses this next term in verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. This term means to confirm, to verify, to be established, means to be proven to be true. To be established in the faith means there is security. Hebrews 13 verse 9 says, what is good for the heart, not food that doesn't help you, you can keep all the dietary laws that you want. No, the writer of Hebrews tells us what's good for the heart to be strengthened is grace. <laughs> Do not be led, by, led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by what? Say it with me. To be strengthened by, do you know what grace is? Ultimately, it's an undeserved gift. It's God showing us what we do not deserve, God's grace of allowing us to experience a relationship with him forever because we don't deserve that because we are his enemies when we are born. But we're strengthened by his grace when we see it and acknowledge it, not by the foods that we eat or what we don't eat, which have not benefited those devoted to them. Our heart is strengthened we are established, this same word strengthened here that we see in Hebrews is the same word we see here in Colossians about being established. Our hearts are secure because of God's grace. I'm established in the faith. I'm secure in the faith because of not what I do, but because of God's grace. So we are established in the faith. And then there's a comma, and then there's this phrase, just as you were taught. 
Paul's saying, listen, it's not something new that you're hearing from me. In fact, Paul's never, uh, has never seen these people. It's one of the few letters that he's actually not been and established a church there. He's writing a letter to the people in Colossae, the believers in Colossae, to a people that he has yet to see. That's why he says earlier in our text that, that he desires to come and see them. And so he's, what he's referencing is, hey, listen, the teaching that you, have, that you have had, the same teaching that I've been giving, but that you have received, not from me, but from someone else, you have heard this. This is what you've heard. What have you heard? That Jesus Christ is Lord, and you have accepted that. You have accepted the fact that, that, that you can be rooted and grounded in the love of God because of what Jesus has done for you. That you have been uh, established. You've been built upon because you've accepted Jesus Christ as the cornerstone of your faith. Your life has been transformed. And what I'm teaching you and sharing with you now, you've accepted is what he's saying to them. Just as you were taught. And then he says this last phrase of our sentence here. In verse 7, abounding in thanksgiving. So reading it together, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Oh, man, this is a cool term. This is really neat. Abounding means to be in abundance or more than enough. And I wonder how much I think about and how much do you think about how we abound, how much more that we have. It's more than enough. Instead, our culture and our world, and even in church, we've been led to believe that we need more. But yet what we've just read and what we've just encountered is to see that God has given us more than enough. In abundance, we live. Maybe not with a whole lot of things, or maybe the relationships that we desire aren't where, they want, where we want them to be. But something bigger and something greater God has given us. He's given us Christ Jesus, the Lord. And through him, we are firmly established. We've been built up, and we have this foundation that God is continually uh, working in us as we walk in him. And so we see this, and this is a picture as it all comes together. We see oh, my life is overflowing with abundance. And Paul says abundant, abounding, and thanksgiving. That giving thanks is more than enough. This word thanksgiving means gratitude or giving thanks. And what I found is it's the Greek word is this, eucharista. Eucharista. And you know what it sounds like? The Eucharist. It's the same term that the Catholic faith uses for Holy Eucharist. We call it the Lord's Supper. When the Catholics look at the Eucharist, again, understanding the term, what does that term mean? Eucharist means gratitude or giving thanks. How awesome it is for us as we come to the Lord's table and we get to give thanks to God. Hopefully that's what we did. Hopefully that's what you did. Giving thanks that Jesus gave his life for us. Paid the sacrifice. Paid the penalty. Gives us life eternal. 
We give him thanks. Eucharista. We're abounding in thanksgiving. We can't help but to be overflowing with thanksgiving because of what Jesus has done for us. And while they may see the elements as becoming the literal uh, body and blood of Jesus, which I do not believe, which I looked up and I, I did a little digging on this, and uh, ultimately um, some lead us to believe that because we're Protestant that, and you have a Protestant pastor that, that because I don't have enough faith and because I'm not walking obediently with God, then I can't turn those elements into the body and blood of Jesus. Are you thankful for that? Here's the deal. It's what those elements represent. And as we read in 1 Corinthians 11, we partake in those elements and what they represent, the broken body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And we do that in remembrance of him until he comes again. Giving thanks. Eucharista is this. The first part, E-U, means to be well or good. Something very good. Charista means gift. Means good gift. What good gift has God given you? What is the best gift that you would say that God has ever given you? And let me just answer that. If it's anything other than Jesus Christ, then something is out of alignment. It doesn't mean we don't have good gifts. I know I married up. There's no doubt in my mind. I still don't know what God did to change her mind and her eyes and her heart. Why she would commit to be with me for a lifetime is something that will be beyond my understanding. And while Lisa is a great gift, she is not the greatest gift. While my children are a wonderful blessing, they are not my greatest gift. Back a few months ago, I was given a very, very generous and nice gift. I haven't talked about it because I was ashamed of it. Not ashamed because I get to drive around a dream truck, but ashamed because I don't deserve it. There are people who came up and who found out and said, oh, pastor, oh, you deserve this. And I'm like, do, do you know who I am? Maybe you need to have conversation or have coffee with my wife or one of my kids. Zach's like, or your son. You don't deserve anything. Do you know what we deserve? We deserve to be cast off from God for all of eternity because we are born with a sinful heart. We're, we're born with a sinful condition that started with Adam and Eve and has been passed down from one generation to another. You're just as guilty as I am. And what we deserve is to be separated from God forever. That's what we deserve. But God and his great grace, haven't we talked about grace this morning? When we see his abounding grace that he has given us, we can't help but to be what Paul is saying here, abounding in thanksgiving that, that, that I see life more than enough when I see this great gift. So when we think about joyful growth, when we think about joyful church, how does that look? 
Again, it's not a list of things to keep. It's not a bunch of things that we have to do. I believe that the moving, the moving, that we are strengthened, that we are more than able, our security, that as we see the abounding good gift of God, that we get to live a joyful life that's found walking in Jesus. I was going to say walking with, but you know what? As I looked at this text and as I looked at Ephesians, Paul says there too about walking in Jesus. Isn't it awesome as we look at the Bible and as God teaches us and shows us that we have the great privilege that you today, you don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be some person who's up front or has this great gifting of of speaking or preaching or counseling. You don't have to be a great musician. You don't have to have some some, uh, credential that you have to have some education. You don't have to be born into some family that has enough riches You have the opportunity today to be found in Christ Jesus. Good. That's that's good. That's good, Pastor. Amen. That was a good sermon today. Oh, my goodness. Can we just grab this? Can we just hold this and take this with us? Listen, I, I need that just as much as you do. I'm not alone in in this, but man, when we can see the goodness of God and what he has done for us and the fact that not only did Jesus die for me and he was buried and he rose again three days later, but God has given us the spirit of the living God that lives inside of you and me and that I can be found in Christ and I can walk with him each and every day here on this earth. How amazing is that? How can I not be filled with joy? It's because I get distracted, because I get my eyes fixed off of Jesus. The author and finisher of my faith, I, I lose sight. I'm, I'm bogged down by the weight of my sin that ensnares me. I'm no different than you. You struggle with that too, and we'll continue to struggle as we walk the face of this earth. But the reminder this morning is that we, that God desires for us to be a joyful church, and he wants us to grow joyfully. And that happens when, not then when we come to Jesus and say, hey, I'm doing a really good job. No, that when we come pleading, begging God for his help and his assistance, when we start seeing that we have nothing to offer him but who we are is a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable, not because of us, but because of Jesus, his righteousness that's placed in me. That when God looks at you and me, he sees not just this sinful, wretched man, but he sees his son, Jesus Christ. He sees the blood of his son who has paid my penalty And that I could be called one of his children. And I have the privilege of walking with him each day. How can we not be abounding in thanksgiving? We have an awesome God. Amen. We get to live a joyful life. And we found our our verse for this year is found in Psalm 1611. And we, we know that that joyful life is found in the presence of the Lord. Once again, from an Old Testament text, David writing in Psalm eleven six, we see a reference here of what Paul's talking about in Colossians chapter 2. That our joy, our thanksgiving, is found as we walk in God.
in Christ Jesus. Claim him. Walk with him. Even if it's in the cold, muddy grasses of Ohio, claim this truth. Be filled with joy. Lord, thank you for the great privilege of knowing you, of accepting you, and loving you. We get to experience joyful growth by walking with our Savior Jesus. Just like that old hymn in the garden, Lord, it reminds me of walking with you and talking with you, that you know me. What an awesome concept, what an awesome truth. That you, Lord, love us so much that you've given us your word so that we can grow and learn, that we can pursue you, that you've given us your spirit that lives in each one who has claimed Christ as Savior and Lord. Thank you for Jesus and for the sacrifice that he made, how amazing it is. And so, Lord, as we close here, may our hearts and our minds, as we meditate as Vince plays upon what was just shared from your word, Lord, that we would be overwhelmed with thanksgiving. And as we pray and as we think and as we meditate, Lord, may that be pleasing to you. May it be a sweet aroma that you smell from the people here at West Hill. And may we continue to walk with you. Walking in Jesus Christ. Walking in the truth. Walking in all that he has shared and all he's told us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.